developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This week's Major Spoilers Podcast Weekend Type Edition goes out to Gerardo Araujo, about whom I am not going to make a Rico Suave joke because that's probably inappropriate. In any case, thanks a lot, sir, and this one goes out to you. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. I've been listening to the Major Spoilers podcast. 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 The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to have you here today, or tonight, or tomorrow, or next week. Hello, future people, wherever you may be in this galaxy, or beyond. A lot of stuff to get to. And off to the left. A lot of of stuff to get to this week. Um, Some of it concerning last week's or two weeks ago's notice about uh, the relaunch over at D.C., including this question from Richard, who writes in and says, Hello, Matthew, Stephen, oh, and Rodrigo. Blue Yonder from the forums here. I've just been having a deal of a time trying to figure out my opinions about the DC renumbering. But I think I've narrowed it down to my misgivings to the Neo-Silver Age. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this movement, but it largely was coined by comic book historian Peter Sanderson to represent a return to the Silver Age principles in response to the grim and gritty period of the 90s. While I share your enthusiasm for properties like Batman the Brave and the Bold, I was was always a bit turned off by the idea of the Neo-Silver Age because it seemed to suggest that there were no comics written in the 90s unless they were written by Alex Ross. This movement was always distressing to me since I first got into the books in the 90s, and like Rodrigo, I did go through a maggot stage, though I thankfully grew out of it when I realized it was just gambit with worms. Regardless, I'm always... (laughs) Always... I'm always... I've always been afraid they're going to undo everything I grew up with. So here's my question. With Hal Jordan back, Barry Allen back, and now Arthur Curry back, do you think there's a neo-Silver Age trend running through the DC's current way of thinking, especially in this new reboot? It's not a reboot. It's a launch. Or am I just getting paranoid in my old age of 29? Keep up the great work. I listen to your podcast every workday, whether it's new or the archives that is from Richard. So, well, let's Matthew, start with the old let's, age of twenty nine. Yes, little boy. First off, let's start with the neo silver age. Let's start with the neo silver age, Matthew. You heard this phrase before. I've run into it a time or two, and I think that there's a grain of truth to it. But I think that on the whole, there's kind of I'm going to have to call BS on it simply because, well, first of all, neo silver age is a little bit insulting, but. There are a lot of different time periods retro rebooting right now. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, right now at Marvel, all the main big players, the new kids who are making it to the top tier are the guys from the seventies, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ms. Marvel, the Falcon. 
characters from the 70s are a big deal if you're written by Bendis or Fraction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at characters who came around in the 90s, uh, War Machine, characters like Deadpool, Cable. Um, over at DC, mm-hmm. they've got, you know, yeah, tons of people that are still around. There are still books. If you, you know, every three or four years, DC trots out a new version of the Wolfman Perez Titans from the 80s. They can't get away from that. I think that the wave of 60s nostalgia at DC right now is partly, well, I, I would say is, is spearheaded, at least by Jeff Johns, who grew up reading those books. Perfectly legitimate. No reason why you wouldn't refer to the stories that you have. But I think Neo Silver Age is kind of misleading because they're yeah. not telling Silver Age tales. They're using the Silver Age building blocks, Silver Age characters, maybe even Silver Age setups. But they're not telling a Silver Age story. And oh, they're no, no, not, no. you know. Well, I mean, for it's me, just a classic because, Silver Age story uh, is, oh, my God, why does Superman have a purple ant for a head? Well, but you know, just because you're using a out. just because you're using a character that was popular during a particular time period doesn't mean you're writing in that time period. I mean, f- for that reason, we should be calling Batman the Neo Golden Age or continuation of the Golden Age yeah. or Superman the same way. Okay. Um, so right. Batman it's not has been nothing but Frank Miller for 25 <laughs> years. It's it's not silver. It's it's not really Neo Silver Age. It's Silver Age esque. Yes, it's it's not Roman. It's Roman esque. Okay, so there was an... It's Silver Age adjacent. There was an episode that we did some time ago uh, where we looked at our favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about why, for me, do all of my favorite movies run from about 1982 till about 1989, 1991, somewhere in that time period. Mm -hmm. And we all came to this conclusion that it's probably because that is the time that's the most influential for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's the time that we remember most fondly. Mm -hmm. And that is the time that if we're doing something creative, we're probably going to tap into that. So for me, it is back to the future and karate kid and Indiana Jones movies, star Wars, a little bit bonsai for Rodrigo. You know, he grew up during the, the Witchblade and the cable and the X-Men uh, relaunches when it was very popular, the Spawns mm. and the Spidermans. Uh, Spidermans. From Ma- <laughs> Matthew, I mean, he's always been a fan of, as he said earlier, Mike Grell's uh, Legion of Superhero Art. Mm. So we're looking at stuff from 60s through the 70s and early 80s that are Matthew's influence. Yes. When we look at Jeff Johns. six to about 85, 86. Yeah, so when we look at Jeff Johns, he was born in 73. So he's only a few, year, few years younger than Matthew and I. Mm-hmm. So it's... You know, Crisis on Infinite Earths didn't take, didn't kick off until 85-ish, right, Matthew? Is that about when it was? 85, mm, 86? Yeah, early 85. So he had, you know, right at that time, he was seeing the Silver Age characters, some of them like Barry Allen going away, being replaced by Wally West. But for the most part, a lot of those characters, the Wonder Womans, the Green Lanterns, uh, some of the rebooting of the Silver Age characters and universes into the new dc he was around during that so he may very much have been influenced by that time period Mm. and that's when he's given the the encouragement to write that's what he wants to write about he wants to write about the time that he was happy when he was most influenced by those things around him jim lee the same way um i'm sure in 20 years we will see a big resurgence of, I don't know, 
what are the new characters? Asriel, or we'll see a big well, here, push to bring back some of the uh, the well, the the early two thousands characters and books that were were uh, relaunched. We're, we're gonna we're gonna see a big resurgence in your uh, invincible type heroes, mm-hmm. your atomic mm-hmm. robo type heroes. Yeah, your, definitely. Uh, somebody somebody's definitely gonna write a, 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 an awesome, and somebody's also going to write a terrible riff on the uh capital cities of heaven from iron fist we'll probably see somebody uh try to bring back the uh the um um uh gosh astro city characters mm-hmm. uh, and you know long after he's been buried somebody's gonna bring back bucky and making captain america again yeah because that's they love mm-hmm. the bucky era cap uh they're going to love the time when uh Ant-Man was a giant douche. You know, they're yeah. going to they're gonna want to bring that that kind of stuff back. Yep. And it's just, it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. It really is cyclical. And it's something that, just like fashion, just like music, just like storylines, you're going to see a lot of this stuff, which I think often Matthew kind of uh, bags upon. I remember this story back in the 70s, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you are going to see that yeah, kind I of stuff. The longer, guy, the longer you stick around, the longer you're going to see oh, yeah. those occurrences. Um, so is DC trying to go back to the silver age? I really don't, I really don't think so. Here's the thing. DC is trying to go back to the silver age, but they're not being successful at it. And by that, I don't mean they're not putting out good comics. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're deliberate because almost specifically because they're deliberately trying to do it. Mm -hmm. It means that it's going to fail because you can't usher in a golden age on purpose you can't go back to the silver age on purpose like new people who are not aware of what they're doing have to be doing things in order to be well, to, to be truly going back to those ideals on those times otherwise it's just retro chic yes and yeah you're right those people who don't study history are doomed to repeat repeat all the mm-hmm. failures of history and and richard you're 29 um there's a reason why you feel off put by this because more than likely your time where you were most influenced by DC and comics in general were the nineties mm-hmm. when those things were important to you Yep. in 15 years, those nineties characters and titles and themes will all be back and be important to well, important to somebody again. They're, they're not gone. I mean, ghost Rider is no, getting relaunched there. and revamped. And, well, I mean, Nightwing came out know. in the nineties. Right, uh, I mean, I was so disappointed with uh, that Nightwing Ghost Rider a, run. <laughs> yeah, it started out so good. Yeah. So I mean, we'll, we'll, don't worry. I mean, just wait. I think everybody should just, just wait. Here, here's the thing that that gets me, and and I hope I hope that somebody out there is listening, and I hope that people realize that it is not conducive. The reason why we have that acid in the uh, in the comic book reading community right now. Uh, and I am using acid reflux analogy because I think most nerds will be familiar with it. Um, <laughs> the reason why we have that is because people keep going, oh, yeah, well, screw you, the Silver Age. Everything's going to be gritty. And then the next guy comes around and is like, oh, yeah, well, screw you, Zero Hour. I'm undoing everything you ever stood for. Oh, uh, yeah, well, you know what? This is going to be Secret Wars all over again. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm bringing back space crap from the 70s. I'm bringing back Clone Spider-Man. Clone <laughs> Spider-Man, you know, all that stuff. And the, th- that that thing of like, well, this is not my Batman. I'm going to make this my Batman. It, it is problematic. Like, 
because even without wanting to, you can't completely ignore what Batman has become. There's there's things about Batman that you think are so very Silver Age that were created in 1989. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and and rather than have that that sense of like I'm going to bring back the comics comics that I like to read, don't do that. Write the comics that you want to write. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um gosh, there are so many ways that we can go on this. I'm trying to find the Twitter exchange that I had today. I want to say it was Elizabeth Amber. I'm probably quoting that wrong. But she said one of their number one buyers, one of their number one customers came into the comic book store today huge dc fan buys almost everything dc and canceled his entire subscription list and then that's it and they're really worried because he was you know like me buys a lot of dc and probably spent several hundred dollars a month at the comic book store now that's a lot of money out of their pocket i said don't worry about it Mm mm-hmm is that, a, is that a good answer, Matthew? Are you guys seeing people coming in and going, I will never buy another DC comic after this news? Oh, hell, we have that happen every single week. You can't take that sort of argument seriously. And we've all said it. I'm not even saying that I haven't said that because I have. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, we talked about the uh, Legion and I was like, and I never read Legion again, except when I did. Yeah. Right. But I, you can't, you can't let that make your creative decisions. You certainly can't have it making your uh, monetary decisions, your sales decisions. And honestly, I think that for all the people saying, I will never buy another DC comic, there are a sizable number of people going, you know what? This might make me buy my first DC comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's what they're out for. Here's, here's yes, the other. I am sure that this is going to have people dropping DC from their pull list, but it's going to, in theory, if it's successful, have more people picking it up. It was Elizabeth Amber. Okay. I just, I just wanted to make sure I didn't want to misquote there, but mm-hmm. um, the thing that, that you also have to remember too, is if this person was buying a bulk of DC comics and they're one of the big people that buy DC comics and he just come came in and is irate and huffy and ah, basha, I will never buy any more DC comics. Guess what? He's an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not buying the occasional Batman or he's not buying, right. you know, just one. He will be back. Yep. Uh, it, unfortunately like crack, like tobacco, like sugar, like, like corn syrup. Like World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. They get their hooks into you, and you can't walk away completely, hmm. right? I don't know how many times I've tried to walk away from the Flash, only to find myself coming back in. Well, he's very fast. He'll just get back in front know, of he you. He just gets in front of me. Oh, he's cutting in front of me. Yeah, oh, the Flash. So I, I really wouldn't worry about a lot of those people, though. Um, here's a question from Twitter from Sketch Song. If any of the MSP crew were in charge of relaunching the DCU, how would they go about it? What would they change? Rodrigo? Um, If I was in charge of relaunching the DC universe, I would go around, and and I I talked about it, I I think, in the, not the last show, but our last weekend show, um, where I would go through, sit down with my uh, cronies, whoever was helping me rewrite the DCU, and say, okay, what makes a Green Lantern story? Who is Green Lantern? What does he do? 
write all that down, and that will be the guideline that the writers will always follow, mm-hmm. except on very specific, you know, world-changing occasions. Right. Who is Superman? Who is Wonder Woman? More so than what stories would I write? More so than what would be the the the, the cataclysm that that kicks this off? Like, what would be the cataclysm that ends my run on the DC universe? That is what I would do. I would go in and say, basically have this thing so that even working in this system where you get a new writer every between every between every issue and every dozen you know a dozen issues um that there would be some consistency Mm -hmm. and i would probably cut down severely on stunt casting for for writing which i I think that people have largely cut down on you know you don't yeah you don't see nearly as 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 many of your uh kevin smiths or or Except for me, I would be Mark Wade all the time. All issues, all that he would become yeah, the Brian Michael Bendis of the DC universe. He's, he's a comic book writer, though. Like, by, no, that's true. But at least it would ensure continuity between all the DC titles. Sure, because he because he remembers all that crap. Yes. Uh, the other thing that I would also probably do. Um, everything now goes to limited series. Mm-hmm. Some will be twelve issue limited series, like Grant Morrison. I'm going to give you twelve issues to tell your Batman story. Mm-hmm. Give me 12 issues. And when that's done, if it's good enough and sales are good enough, we may ask you to do another 12-issue run on Detective Comics. Otherwise, we might say, Bob Smith over there, please write the 12 issues or six issues or four issues or whatever it may be. Everything's now limited issue run. They can still have an ongoing number, but there's no guarantee that at the end of the Grant Morrison run that we'll have another Detective Comics arc or unless it comes out sometime down the road. That would be the other thing. Everything is a limited edition series. That's me. Matthew, what about you? I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) Because I don't necessarily like it when editorial caveat is what drives the books. It's one of the things that makes the name Bob Harris all practically a curse word to me. Uh, When he was writing Avengers and editing X-Men, there was a clear editorial voice clearer than the writer's voice for several years on both, you know, the Avengers and X-Men titles. If I were going to have to do a reboot, the first thing that I would do is get all the creative people together, find out who wants to do what, and then start doling out, you know, okay, fine, Steven, you can write Batman, but you cannot make him, you know, a bisexual transvestite Eskimo. And Superman has to fly. But I think, for me, you have to take into account, A, what stories are the writers wanting to tell? And if you have three or four people, you have to figure out which story is going to work best for you. And then let those creators work together, hopefully, but let those creators work on what's going to work best for your properties. I don't necessarily think that, as much as I admire what they did in 86 i don't think that the revamp after the crisis worked solely because there were some people who didn't change some people who changed everything some people who half-stepped it this at least uh, you know the dc relaunch is something where they've apparently gotten everybody together and said okay who's who wants to do what okay you can do that and you can do that and you over there how'd you like to do uh dead man you know, I think that it, if you have those creators wanting to tell stories, even if half these books tank in six months, you've got 
52 new titles. You've got people hooked and you've got your characters back up in the spotlight, even if it's just temporarily, without having to deal with me coming in and saying, and now the metal men are actually a punk rock group. Yeah. All right, there you go. Let's take a, a listen to this uh, to this question. Hey, my name is Darren Morgan. I'm a longtime comic book fanatic uh, and writer and artist myself also. And uh, I think what I want to talk about was the or the subject I wanted to sort of address was the uh, the difficulty of trying to break into the business, the comic book business. Um, I've tried myself for years. I tried. You know, in the early 90s, mid-90s, up through 2002, 2001, I was really working really hard to try to break in. And just, you know, after just out of sheer frustration of over 10 years of trying and not getting anywhere, I kind of put it on the back burner. Uh, and I know at that time, you know, DC and Marvel was, um, you know, they were taking submissions from anybody anywhere. And, you, you know, usually you would get a form letter response but nowadays uh, they don't i mean they don't they won't take anything unsolicited and you know i've, I've recently um tried to i'm working on a project i'm going to try uh, once again to break into this business that i love so much um but it's just really frustrating i think the future of this business depends on uh, new talent young talent um and it just seems like it's so hard it's almost like um those of us who you know, aren't in the loop, as they say, or, you know, we're sort of shut out. Uh, and it's, it's, it's frustrating, you know, um, uh, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not only a fan and a reader and a collector, but I'm an artist and writer myself. And as, as someone with talent, I want to express that and comic books are, I want to do that. And so it's just very frustrating, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I understand why so I've known a lot of other very talented writers and artists who just, don't even try or just give up. You know, I haven't given up, you know, off and on for 20 years trying to break in, and I'm still trying. Um, but it's it's frustrating, and it's um, one of those kind of things where uh, it's very easy to see why people give up and quit. Um, so that's kind of what I want to address. Is, and, you know, and, and just it would be so nice if the comic book publishers would sort of give um, young talent, or not necessarily young talent. Myself, I'm not necessarily a young guy, but someone who's, you know, has something to say for this business, it would would just be really nice if the publishers would really, you know, be a little more open uh, about doing that. Um, So that's that's what I want to address. And um, like I said, my name is Darren Morgan, uh, and I'm I'm based in southern Indiana. Um, uh, And so that's that's kind of, that's where I'm kind of going with with this, you know, this subject. Um, So thanks a lot. All right, so there you go. Somebody called into the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939 until we reboot it here in a week. So uh, the publishers are locking him out, blocking him out. They, they don't, uh, they're not open. Companies like DC and Marvel are not open to new writers coming in and writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple answer, okay. number one. Most comic book publishers will not accept unsolicited scripts right for a variety of reasons but number one the number one reason is we have become a sue happy society yep and if you submitted a script that they read and dis uh, disregarded and then nine months later they wrote a story that was very similar to yours they would have a lawsuit on their hands 
Mm -hmm. Oh, they stole my story. How dare they? Well, I'm not suing people because I'm giving away free advice on how to sell and market digital comics, which the companies are now picking up on. Mm -hmm. Eh, Big deal, right? But when it comes to your intellectual properties and your stories, they don't want to do that. So you have to have either an agent do this, number one. That's the best way to, to get a comic read is by having it go through the proper channels. Or the other thing is don't write Batman. Don't write Superman. Right. Don't write Spider-Man. Don't write X-Men. I mean, we see this a lot, right, right, Regal, where people say, mm-hmm. I've got the perfect X-Man story, this one featuring Cable and right. Wolverine in a huge fight. Right. Well, guess what? They get some submissions all the time for Batman and Cable right. and, and Wolverine and the X-Men and Spider-Man and all that stuff. Everybody has an idea for a Batman story. And that's good. There have been some people who have submitted a Batman story, a one-shot, that was purchased by DC that then sat on the shelf until years later when it was picked up and published as a a one-shot in Legends of the Dark Knight. I think one of the final Legends of the Dark Knight stories has this boy trying to impress uh, this girl. Right. And he's saying, yeah, I know Batman, and I can, we'll take you up on the roof, and I'll show you. He'll swing over because he's seen Batman fly over this area every night. He's trying to impress this girl until... They're up on the roof and the fight comes to them mm-hmm. and the boy's freaking out. He's going to lose the girl until at the end he kind of helps Batman out. Mm-hmm. This is a story that the guy, if I remember correctly, told me he wrote five years prior. Yeah, to it being printed. Yeah, to it being printed. And they needed some little story and they put it in there. Yeah. That's great if that, if that happens. But most of the time, I think publishers want to see, can you write something else? Yeah. Because there's not, I mean... Contrary to popular belief, there's not a million Batman titles out there. It, it seems to me that the best way to get your writing out there is to track down an equally uh, starving artist. Yes. And put together your own comic. Yes. Self-publish it. Yes. And then you have something to show. Yes. Now, Brian Clevenger, I, next time we have him on the show, he and uh, Scott Wegner, we're going to have them on the show to talk Atomic Robo. Uh, Clevenger started doing uh, 8-Bit Theater, his webcomic, right? And then he and Wegner got together and started doing Atomic Robo. That got spun into writing Iron Man, mm-hmm. right? And possibly the Firestorm gig, but it fell through for him. Gail mm-hmm. got that instead of, 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 uh, of Brian. But notice that pathway. Yep. He didn't start at the top. He started in the mailroom and worked well, his way up. And, and he was doing webcomics forever. Yes. Yes. Uh, I like that idea, Rodrigo, of find some starving artist and work together and come up with your own book. Or, you know what? Maybe you have a story where Batman turns into a vampire and you've got a a 12-issue arc that you're wanting to write about Batman as a vampire uh, falling in love with another vampire. How about you go and find a company that specializes in vampire books Mm -hmm. and pitch an idea to them that's not Batman? Right. Could it be any man or every man? Matthew, what have you uh, heard or seen or done? Certainly you have a lot of wannabe comic writers come into the store and they tell their I tales of woe. comic writers come into my store. <laughs> Exclusively. <laughs> and we don't want to hear about yes. your fan love for you the proof guy. You can't get in unless you are. <laughs> Thoughts and advice. Thoughts and advice to this person. Oh, whatever, ex-mutants. <laughs> Thoughts and advice, Matthew. what I would say. Yes, thank you. You want to say it one more time? Yes, what are your thoughts, Matthew, please? I think we... People are dying for your answer. <laughs> Shut up. 
Um, I would say, first of all, there, there are three questions to address here. One, and the obvious question is, and I think you guys have addressed it already. If the big publishers aren't interested in publishing your stuff, the, I mean, here's the thing. If you're a writer, you write. And to me, a, an aspiring writer is not going to be the guy who has, you know, just gotten something miraculously printed. An aspiring writer is the guy who has a stack of 50 rejection letters who continues sending out work and continues checking on people. So the point is, even it, you know, if, if they are shutting you out, so what? If the big publishers don't want to publish you, then they're still small publishers. If the small publishers don't want to publish you, you can publish yourself. You know, if you're a writer, you will write and, you know, nothing's going to stop you from writing. Secondly, if the big two publishers are really conspiring and let's take for a moment and presume they are, if they're conspiring to keep new people out of the industry, then they're just going to shoot themselves in the foot. And you as a writer, need to continue doing what you're doing. You need to continue putting stuff on paper. You need to get better, hone your craft to the point where they won't be able to shut you out or ignore you. And third, and probably most importantly, I think if you're going to, if you're going to be going to Marvel comics, DC comics, dark horse comics, image comics and saying, this is my baby. You're probably going to want to get a slightly thicker skin. Because people are going to reject you. Yep. Brian Bendis gets rejected. Stephen King gets rejected. I mean, Tom Clancy and the guys who write his novels <laughs> get rejected. These, these things happen. I mean, there's, there's nothing about the creative task that is going to immediately have anybody, even if you have name recognition, respecting exactly what you're doing and going, yes, you are exactly perfect for what I want. Unless you're exactly perfect for what you want. And I'll tell you this right now. I've known Steven for 25 years, and I think we've agreed 10, 15 times in that time. Mm -hmm. If he said to me, as he often does, here's a piece. Here's an idea for a piece. I want you to shape it into something. And it comes back. Generally, what I write is probably going to be based on what Steven asked for as an editorial personage or as, you know, a coworker, as whoever he is. And if he says to me as an editorial personage, I don't like this bit about Bo Duke, you need to cut that. Well, then I have to ask myself two questions. A, you know, Stephen and I work here. It's a website. It is a, it is a, a group effort owned and operated by Stephen Schleicher. If he is my editor and he says to me, I don't like this, you know, I don't like this red giraffe, then it's up to me to pull out a purple elephant. And if well, I don't have a purple well elephant... Part of it is, I don't think I'd ever say, I don't like this, take it out. I might say, meh, can we tweak this, or can you find a way to make well, this? Well, you right. wouldn't specifically, yeah. but there are editors. Yeah, yeah, there who are work. editors that are that way, yes. In fact, there if I was anybody's would, editor, I would. Yeah. Now you, uh, you should see some of the editors yeah. I do. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's important to note that as you write, at the more you write, the better you write, the stronger your writing becomes, the more latitude you're going to have to say to the big two, well, you suck, you're shutting me out, I'm going to go do this. Or to say, well, what's up with this? So I don't necessarily think that there is a concerted effort to keep people out of any given field. But yeah, it's tough to get into this field. It's probably tougher to get into comics writing than it is to get into, I don't know, reality television. 
it's tougher to get into comics writing than it is to get into the call center world. I'll tell you that for free. It might be, and you know, it might you know, be tough if you're talking about exclusively ab- about the big two. It's probably harder to get into writing comics than it is to get into writing TV. Yeah, because a show will have multiple writers, mm-hmm. but a comic certainly does not. No, I mean, it might have people doing different issues, but a, a single comic will not have a staff of five, ten, fifteen writers mm-hmm. like the big ass sitcoms do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Marvel. And DC and Dark Horse and Image and, you know, Frab Jaws comics, they don't owe anything to us as writers. They don't owe anything to, you know, if somebody comes to them and says, I have a great idea for Turnip Man, they are probably better off protecting themselves and not listening to that from, you know, somebody just out of the blue, for the reasons that Stephen mentioned earlier. But there is really no obligation when you print a the, you know, the adventures of Turnip Man. There's no obligation for you to yep. take solicitations. There's no obligation for Mm-mm. you to listen to somebody who Mm-mm. comes out of the blue. Or even, you know, even if Stephen is writing Turnip Man and Stephen comes over to me, the editor, and says, hey, I've been writing Turnip Man for five years. It's time you put me in the big leagues and you put me on the amazing Bat Bat. And I'm like, no, you ain't ready for Bat Bat. I don't want your writing style and what you do on Bat Bat. So that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people would say that. And I don't know that shutting you out is the intention, even if it is the final result. And the only answer to a door slammed in your face is either walk away or knock again. Yeah. Uh, Here's a suggestion. Ever thought of getting a theme song for Critical Hit like you do for the Major Spoilers podcast? Current one, kind of sad sounding. I think it sounds epic. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah, because 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 critical it, hit is is such a in that is, is such a funny happy go lucky <laughs> uh, storyline. I think we're gonna go to some banjo uh, bluegrass music. Hey, bum, the kids bum, love bum, it. Anybody's anybody's welcome to submit, and it's just like submitting to a story. You can submit a theme song, which would be great. Yeah, but we may say not to our liking. I mean. Any anybody who's out there, just go out, pick up your viola, get your cellist, your and your timpani player, and put together a theme for Critical yeah, Hit. But it has to be a theme that we like for Critical yeah, Hit. Yeah, it, it certainly can't be electronica. Right. It can't be uh, beat dance music. Right. It can't be a remix like we play on the oh, on the I, Saturday show. It has to be. It has to be a, a song that I matches that the timbre of Critical Hit. Yes. Yes, yes, just yes. just like the 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 seven or eight songs that we it's, use for major spoilers. Yes, match the the match, theme and the tone yep. and what we're trying to go for. Uh, sad to hear Kansas became the only state Wait, with no arts spoilers. agency. What about it? Uh, okay. What about sad. the major spoilers theme? It's it's not played on a kazoo, so it doesn't yeah, quite yeah. match our theme. And our uh, that's true. Sad to hear Kansas became the only state with no arts agency. As an arts and culture org, what is Major Spoiler's take on this? Well, first of all, it's not because, well, it could be because Brownback hates the arts and hates all media, <laughs> which would be my, uh, you know, the guy hates television. I mean, yeah. it's a, go back and read the Rolling Stones yes, I'm aware article about uh, uh, his thoughts on media. So, number one, there's probably one thing right there. Number two, you also have to realize that Kansas, being in the middle of the country, was the last state to suffer the effects of the economy from six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago. We are still, while East Coast, West Coast are recovering, 
we are still in the... In that part of the shockwave. Yes, we are in the hole of the shockwave, and we still probably have another three to four years before we f- recover financially. In the meantime, that means they have to cut services, which is understandable, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the decision to cut funding to all PBS stations is not high on my favorite list. The decision to cut uh, financing to arts organizations is not high on my po- um, on my favorites list. However... Brownback didn't say there's he didn't say there's no more arts organizations in Kansas. He says, uh, Kansas Arts Commission, if you want to do this, you have to fund yourself. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like PBS. PBS, you're not going to be funded any longer. If you want to survive, you're going to have to find ways to fund yourself. Right. And PBS fought it. Yeah. Uh, National NPR. Yeah, uh, the NPR stations, um, the the station that I work for, put a lot of work into it um, because we we rely a lot more on, on government right. money than right. the urban stations right. in Kansas. And I know people are going <laughs> urban in Kansas, <laughs> but you know, Wichita, Kansas City, and Topeka are, are yeah. fairly large right. cities. Lawrence Johnson County. Um, so, you know, we we fought it, and we have legislators who understand what PBS does for our community who who, mm-hmm. who really fought it. And the Arts Commission fought it, too. They didn't succeed. We kind of did. Mm-hmm. But Brownback has basically said, all right, but as soon as the next budget comes around, I'm cutting y'all's funding. Well, he can say that. Yeah. But you know what? The he next time. It. Yep. He did it once. I know. He, we can get him to do it again. But you know what? Uh, the next time, I will tell you this, the next time the budget comes around, he isn't going to be concerned a lickety split about uh, the budget of Kansas. He's going to be concerned about how much money does his presidential campaign mm-hmm. have, and he's going to be too busy trotting off to, to run for president again. again and failing than he is worried about governing the state of Kansas. Yeah. Now, the state of Kansas has a very healthy arts culture. Mm-hmm. I am so surprised in a city like Hayes where we are – station currently hayes has a crazy gigantic arts culture it is it i mean you go down main street and while businesses are closing their doors on main streets artists are coming in and snagging those places up as new artist studios and galleries and it just blows my mind to see drive down the street and see about a third of those businesses are art studios and galleries. I, I, I don't have the numbers for this i could be wrong but i would i would say that there are there might be more art studios in Hayes than bars you're probably right <laughs> it's insane yeah, yeah, yeah i was amazed when i first started coming around to Hayes. the, the Hayes arts commission just is how wonderful. huge art is around here yeah the Hayes arts commission is wonderful um was it uh brenda mater mm-hmm. she does a fantastic job of running arts and the arts organizations here in Hayes. They have a couple of big events, which I'm particularly proud of, even though I'm f- proud of that the city does, yeah. even though I don't think I've ever participated in them, is the Art Walk. Art Walks, yeah, I've been to Hayes' where Art Walks. they open up the studios and the galleries, and you go in and you eat food, and you look at, look at the art, and you buy art, and you learn things and do things, and that's wonderful. We also have some very well-recognized and renowned artists who teach at the university. Uh, Mick Yolk is one. Um, uh, Chai Wat Thumjazarit. Many people don't know his name. It's not something that pops out like uh, uh, Pollock or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to design work, 
he is super, you know, I mean, he is highly regarded. Right. Um, and so that contributes to the art culture in Hayes. Now, the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the area, um, Lawrence has a huge arts culture. Um, they mm-hmm. do some fantastic things in Lawrence that I enjoy the hell out of. Wichita has some great sculpture uh, all over the place. Uh, there's art all over in Kansas. So even though there's not state funding for the Kansas Arts Commission, um, they're still around. Yeah. And they're just trying to raise money privately. And so if in your state, it's really, go ahead, Matthew. Yeah. It's really odd in Kansas in that we have kind of a dichotomy where there are tons of people who are always on that depression era footing, that Spartan, we've got to tighten our belts no matter what's going on. And I think that part of that, it, it, it's not even like a, what I would call a conservative viewpoint on politics it's just conservative in the general sense of the word in that yeah, it's like you use every oh, part yeah. of every dead animal exactly and it's i think to some degree kansas especially in terms of the lawmakers that we choose and the the representatives that we choose have a tendency to be people who are just like well you know what we need to just tighten our belts and put the plow in the earth and walk around and apparently talk like we're in a bowery boys movie see? We're gonna talk like we're from the but, 1920s we're gonna lower taxes and give incentives to businesses who will still not move here to kansas that is a repeating theme in the state's history. And I think the reasons why we have such huge art communities that we do, and we, you know, you, you referenced Hayes and Lawrence is enormous. Even Topeka has, you know, mm-hmm. a, an undercurrent of all of these wonderful things going on. It's because there have been many times when people are just like, well, we're going to spend all our money on food and shotgun shells. <laughs> See, if you have the shotgun shells, all you need is shotgun shells, food, and carts. Because if you have the carts from the Dillons, you can sell them to the people who no longer have a way to get around because there's no longer any fossil fuels, see? And, uh... Ah, I think I've met a feral child with a boomerang. (laughs) (laughs) You'll run into that, especially here, because as a landlocked state, we don't have the import-export. We don't necessarily have a lot of the things that you'll see in different areas. And so we're kind of dependent on occasionally having to lock down into a bunker mentality. And, you know, there's a, there's a dust bowl coming and we're going to eat this cow for 16 months. Yeah, I posted a few images up on uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, this past week. Uh, images of sun sunsets. Mm-hmm. This is a going away from this topic, but uh, someone and it's the, obviously the sun is so red because of all the smoke in the air. And someone said, well, how far away are you from the fires in Arizona? And it was only a couple of hundred miles, to be honest. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, um, the northeast corner of Arizona almost butts up against the southwest corner of Kansas. I mean, you got that Oklahoma thing that's in the way. Um, and when you think about it, liberals only about what? 150 miles, 200 yeah. miles from uh, yeah. from Kansas. So you're probably looking at about 300 miles tops. So it's not uncommon for these kinds of things to to occur in this uh, area. And, and really the only thing that moves very fast in Kansas is the, the wind. wind. Yes. Uh, I remember a few years ago, it was really weird. Uh, there were a bunch of fires in like Texas. Mm-hmm. And we went outside one day and there was like, what's this weird fog that's blowing through the area? And how come it smells like there's a fire burning mm-hmm. just a, you know, a few 
blocks away. You know, this is, we were already on a high fire alert. Right. People were calling the police saying, is there a fire? Is there a fire? And the, and the fire trucks are driving all around the city going, there are no fires. And it turns out we were smelling and seeing all the smoke yeah. blowing up from, uh, from Texas. So, uh, yeah, we do a lot of things out here in Kansas. The arts is one of them and the arts have to support themselves. We are self, you know, we try to be self-sufficient. Heck, even major spoilers tries to be self-sufficient, mm-hmm. but we do appreciate everyone who's become a recurring donor yeah. uh, to the website. We would like to get Every critical hit listener, every major spoilers listener uh, to contribute something, become a recurring donor so that we can continue to bring such interesting shows like uh, This Week in, in the Kansas Nova. Economy and uh, Nova and Major Spoilers and, and the whole Major Spoilers experience. So if you can contribute, that would be great. Uh, but, you know, we're not getting any money from the Kansas Arts Commission either. No, so. and, and we never were. Yeah, we never even were. back when it existed. Yeah, and on the weekend, I'm going to start doing that painting show. We're going to have happy little trees, <laughs> happy little. Clouds. You know, I, that bush over here in the corner, Bob. That Bob Ross really, really put things in perspective for me uh, as far as my family goes. Because now I can look <laughs> at my. Now I can. Uh, I see what you did. <laughs> now, it, yeah, perspective. <laughs> Now I can finally, finally look at my brother and say, there are no mistakes, just happy little accidents. Yep, exactly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's how I got my two kids. Exactly. (laughs) Happy little accidents. That's that's what I'm saying. Russell Catt from Ontario, Canada. Russell Catt from Ontario, Canada says, I hear Symbionic Titan might be canceled. What are your opinions and thoughts on this, if any? Symbionic Titan has been canceled. No. The reason? Because it wasn't selling enough toys, basically. Yeah. And so, uh, as far as I know, that series is canceled and is not coming back. If you got to see the first two seasons, they were wonderful. Mm. Fantastic. We watch them again and again every once in a while. The boy will say, hey, can we watch this, Dad? Sure. We turn it on and kick back and watch the adventures. I like Symbionic Titan. I haven't gotten a chance to see it. Oh, Rodrigo, you got to see it. Matthew, have you watched Symbionic Titan? I have the most basic of cable. That doesn't include Cartoon Network? No. Well, talk to your cable provider. Because we we each seem to have our favorite Gen D Tartakovsky cartoon. Yeah. You're always talking about the Symbiotic Titan. I I like uh, Samurai. uh, Samurai Jack. I like Samurai Jack. And I I love the Powerpuff Girls. Uh, That's a Craig McCracken (laughs) joint, I think. I never watched Yes, that was the joke. I uh, I never watched an entire episode of Symbionic Titan, but you know, from your descriptions, I imagine that we'd love it. I, th- I really think you would. I mean, it's mm. got a really deep storyline, and sure, there are some episodes which are totally out of the big picture sure, sure. storyline. But uh, but you get that in every show. Yeah, you do. But I mean, just the big will they survive in order Not to go an back and free their home world? I mean, it's 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 awesome uh, from that perspective. So. Uh, kind of too late. That decision was made six months ago, I think, back in January. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a listen to this question. Yeah, this is Brian, uh, tag it from the forums. I don't really post much, but I had a question regarding more of critical hit. Uh, I'm running my first campaign as a DM and I was curious what you guys thoughts were about having a plot point where when the divine characters lose their powers due to a war of the gods. Is this a good idea or should it be avoided? Uh, look forward to hearing you guys' comments on it. Critical hit question, Rodrigo. Question about uh, the divine character losing their powers. Um, if what you're planning on doing is 
Your character has lost his powers. Let's say that they're a paladin. Your character has lost his powers because of a war in heaven. Here's your fighter. Right? Like, do not just take away their powers and then have them be largely useless in a fight. Right. Like, basically just trade them out for a martial character. Mm. You can do that. Um, You know, basically they're the same character sprite except all the white has been replaced by gray. <laughs> can you just do that? Can you just say, Stephen Orem is no longer a war wizard. He is a paladin. A sword mage? Well, whatever. Uh, I could. I mean, could you? I mean, could. But I mean, is that a good way to DM to just say we're flipping your character and turning him into a bard? Well, this is why when we first started doing critical hit, I gathered you all up and I put my hands on the shoulders that I could reach and I said, "Guys, you're gonna have to trust me on this one. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do crazy things to your characters. I'm gonna flip them upside down and right. Don't get too attached to the way your characters are now because they will change. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, critical hit on five. Because, uh, actually, it wasn't even called, it was called, like, Dungeon Campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or something like that back yeah. in the day. Um, back when it, back when we described everything in black and white. <laughs> um, and we talk like this. <laughs> yeah, see? I will be playing in Eladrin, yeah, and his see? name will be Oran, I'm jump out a window, see? <laughs> yeah, those are ninjas over there, see? <laughs> and we shall call him Talk, and he will hey. jump out of windows chasing ninjas. It's the critical hit. <laughs> no, he was chasing he was chasing the Kaiser out the window. <laughs> Last don't episode. come back, you lousy red. <laughs> Last episode, you may remember talk, jumping out of a window, chasing the Kaiser down the street, screaming ninjas. We catch up with them in this action now. Bum, bum, bum. We interrupt this podcast to bring you news that explosions have been seen on Mars. Yep. Anyway. What were we even talking <laughs> about? Talking yes, about I mean, the characters. here's the thing. As a, as, a, <laughs> as, a, as a game master, you can do these things to your players, but... You also have to do things that your players will accept. Right. Um, you can only push a player, a, a character, so far before it becomes unrecognizable from what it was. Um, if you think that your player will roll with it, then yes. And make sure that you at no point invalidate that character or invalidate the choices that they've made. You know, mm-hmm. you look at the what ended up happening to Randus's arm. Right, that actually makes Randus more Randus-like. Right, Um, and it's something that I did to his character. Mm -hmm. So just make sure that all your decisions are moving the characters in the direction that either the players want to take them or that the story is 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 uh, calling for for them to take. Something that carves out their niche a little bit harder. We had um, asked, or we had mentioned a few podcasts ago on Critical Hit about, um, you know, taking another break or going out and doing another game experience. You know, I had done my chance. We did the uh, the Dungeon Masters mm-hmm. workshop where I had a chance to go out and Dungeon Master for the first time or Game Master for the first time. And we had talked, uh, my, was it last week's episode? I forget I when it so. was, where we had talked about maybe somebody else stepping in and being a Dungeon Master. And it was down to kind of Rob or Matthew. And Rob, uh, I guess, has agreed to do it at some point in the mm-hmm. future. And uh, Tobo88 says, Rodrigo, are you going to be PC when Rob DMs a game? Are you going to be politically correct when Rob 
DMs a game? Well, first off, I'm always politically correct, <laughs> as you guys know from our uh, mic off sessions. Yes, exactly. I, I never say anything <laughs> racist, sexist, or inappropriate in any way. Um, but I would, I would like in to be. In the opposite world. Yes. Me, me, I'm never say anything racist. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to play. I, uh, you know, that, that was part of the, I think that was part of the implication there is that I wasn't going to run it because I wanted to play. Um, I didn't get a chance to play in Steven's game because I helped Steven come up with that game. Right. He didn't want to sit there clucking his tongue and stroking his beard the entire time. Going, right. That, well, and Steven, the other, Steven, Steven. That, that's the other thing is that as a, as a, as a proud mama bird, I kind of had to just kick Steven off the nest and, and, and let him, uh, let him fly on his own wings. Whereas Rob, you'll just kick. Yeah, because uh, Rob's Rob's been running games for a while. He's been running games for me for a while, so he knows what to expect. I uh, Matthew and I laughingly made reference to slash fiction featuring Orem and Torque. Mm-hmm. Someone wants to know: Has anyone written any critical hit fan fiction? Where can I find it? Lord knows if any exists, and I don't uh, someone, make a habit of going out and looking for it. Someone wrote us something mentioning, like basically asking about. A particular point in the game, and and basically they said, "Hey, what happened here?" And we were like, "Oh, it was like they had like missed some detail or something." It's like all of a sudden this happened. Why, when was that? And we were like, "Oh, well, you know, that that was after uh, Torque uh, decided that he didn't want to wear hats anymore. So mm-hmm. you know, then this happened." And uh, this person, you know, in, in his letter, this this person was like, "Because I want to be as as a." as true to critical hit as as I can be when I'm writing fan fiction about it. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if anyone's written any critical hit fan fiction. I'm, Matthew, have you read any? You're into that stuff. <laughs> there, there was clearly yeah. no judgment in that <laughs> statement. Uh, By the way, there's Halston a lot of fan H-A-L-S-T-O-N. art. There's right. a lot of fan art. I don't see anything out there. I mean, if someone's writing fan fiction, that's fine. I'm just yeah. I'm not reading it, and I'm not aware of it. So. And and I will I will if, say this now: if you are, bring it to our attention. We'd be happy to read it. I, I won't. I, won't. I, I will I, say this right now: for the same, I'm I'm serious. For the same reason that Marvel will not read your uh, Batman solicitation, and you can't send magic card designs to. Magic the Gathering, uh, I will not read critical hit fan fiction, especially, well, no, forget it, I won't read any of it, because I don't want to use somebody's idea, and that's fine. Yeah, that's great if Matthew wants to. Yeah, because I'm running the game, I'm coming up with the game, so I don't want to get somebody and either be influenced by it, or have them basically guess what I was going to do anyway, and then being like, well, crap, I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, well, and I mean, that's also the same thing whenever people send suggestions to us, and we get suggestions all the mm-hmm, time. Hey, mm-hmm. have you ever thought about having these guys go and actually build a statue for Ke- or, you know, for Smith? Right. Well, I, you know, maybe. Yeah. Keep listening. We were immediately teleported away, and we've yeah. kind of been getting you know nearly uh, killed. I probably every... won't read any fan fiction simply because I don't have time. But right. Matthew will probably read it. I'm sure uh, uh, Rob and and Brian would uh, get a kick out of it too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not saying don't write it. I'm saying I you should know now that I won't read it. 
or that you can't read it. Right, right. Uh, there was another gaming oh, question. I never learned oh, to read. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys feel about... Why can't Rodrigo read? How do you guys feel about Warhammer and other fantasy tabletop role-playing games other than D&D? Don't know. Never played them. Um, I'm a huge fan of Exalted. It, it's... Uh, it was my favorite game for a long time. I wasn't terribly happy with some of the stuff that's that happened kind of at the tail end there with uh its second edition, but uh it's also, you know, I would I would love to run an exalted game again. I would love to play in somebody's exalted game. Exalted is is a great game and I've I've always liked it ever since it came out. Um other and I one of the reasons why I like it is because it's not Tolkien inspired fantasy. Stuff that is elves and dwarves and stuff, I tend to not like. I don't play World of Warcraft because I don't actually like fantasy games. And it's that $15 a month subscription charge. And is that $15 a month subscription charge. If you pay attention to Critical Hit, and I've said this before, Critical Hit is secretly a sci-fi story. It is. Um, <laughs> because I actually don't like fantasy all that much. Secret. Yeah, I know. It's not even a little bit of a secret. Well, there you go. Because Randis is clearly C three PO. Matthew, you're in the uh, in the in the store on the weekends when a lot of the gaming stuff takes place, right? You have any uh, experience or thoughts yep. on any of these other games? Um, I can sell you one. I'll be happy to go ahead and sell you one. I've never played them. I'm familiar with them more from a mechanical perspective of, you know, can you order me a Vindicator? And I know that a Vindicator is a tank, and I know about, you know, I know, I, I can't tell you right now because it's 1130 at night, but I generally know the difference between Warhammer and 40K and Fantasy and all the little framistats and in theory, I love the idea of creating my own army and giving them symbols and painting them and, you know, yep. doing all the stuff and having my own special guy and calling him Death Strike Blood Force. And he'll be my special character who takes 400 points in a 500 point game. But and in practical purposes, I've seen hundreds, hundreds of these games played off and on, you know, in the store, but never actually sat in an entire one, never played them. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I don't have time to paint an army. Yeah. No. Oh man, I saw these. I saw these Space Marines ones for 40k. Probably the best, like my favorite thing that I've ever seen. They were basically because they have all this like really round uh, armor. Like they're basically oh, yeah, yeah, dudes, yeah. right? But right. they just have this like really round space armor. And somebody painted them basically to look like bubble gum. Oh, cool. Like they they basically look like gumballs. They were like like. Uh, pink and like powder blue oh, that's crazy. and they were they were just awesome especially because everybody's like all like red and black or like camo yeah. stuff and there's this like these bubblegum space marines i actually like the idea of miniatures obviously because mm -hmm. i buy every single one uh i was into hero clicks for a while mm -hmm. and i guess it's my ocd about having to buy 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 buy, buy. <laughs> played it for a little while but then there was really nobody that i knew yeah. was playing hero clicks so i just gave all my figures to matthew who probably took them down to the store and sold them um but um that's about the only other tabletop game that I'm, you know, familiar with, uh, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, this one is from somebody who says, what's the MSP's crew's favorite anime, uh, either series or OVA, and can I hear Torque say, I'll paint your face with my blood? No, you can't. But what are your favorite animes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think it always comes down to Princess Mononoke for me. Oh, yeah? 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Serial Experiments Lane, mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop, and uh, Nadia's Secret of Blue Water, and um, the um, uh, Laputa. Mm-hmm. Castle in the Sky. Roger goes like, he said castle. I always laugh when you say that. Yeah, Laputa Castle. He said another word. Yeah, those are those are. I mean, if those are my go tos, if I could only watch, you know, the anime series, those would be it. In fact, I'm getting ready to transfer my Cowboy Bebop DVDs into an iTunes into a format that I can play on my my iPad. iPad. Yeah. So, Matthew, what about you? Do you have any things? Uh, Speed Racer. When I was a kid, I loved Speed Racer, I loved Astro Boy, and the Americanized version of Gotcha Man when it became Battle of the Planets was a huge favorite for me in the seventies. Um I like I liked uh, Chin Pokemon. That was that was really good and uh got that going for me. So uh I've never actually sat down and watched an episode of Bleach or Death Note. I've seen about five episodes of uh of what's the one with the crazy demon monk and the little schoolgirl? Inuyasha. Kagome. Inuyasha. I read something called Crying Freeman that was yeah. really, really good once. Mm-hmm. I've got a whole um, bunch of like stuff. That, but um. I, I, I remember being drunk at a party at Leroy's house in Hayes and seeing Robot Carnival. And just imprinting on uh, one of the segments of Robot Carnival. Just love it, love it, love it. And oddly enough, the movie as a whole is not really my favorite thing in the world because there's a lot of... Being an anthology, there are problems with yeah. it. But the presence the presence segment of uh, Robot Carnival, which was done by Yasumi Umetsu. Oh, dear Lord, it's beautiful. Yeah, It's just this incredibly subtle piece and it's done all in voiceover so i don't have that problem where occasionally you know you have to have awkward dialogue to fit the japanese cadence and pacing Mm -hmm. so the the english voiceover is actually in english and it doesn't work and it basically it's this really incredible love story with a kind of a bittersweet wonderful ending to it so i would say if, if you had to have me pick my favorite it's probably that segment of robot carnival you know, when I uh, go to big cities, inevitably, mm-hmm. you go down that one street at the marketplace mm-hmm. and somebody has a Rolex right, for like five bucks. Right. One of these expensive watches or shoes or Gucci bags or whatever mm-hmm. for incredibly, incredibly low prices. God, stop cussing. <laughs> La puta, Gucci bags. Come on, man. You don't want to hear me say fanny pack because that means something. <laughs> no, um. But then, of course, you know that these are all knockoffs, right? right? These right. are cheap, cheap imitations of the real thing. And I'm sure in comics and other things, we have knockoffs. Right. What, what do we know about knockoffs? Or, Rodrigo, you wanted to talk about knockoffs? Or, Here's, or are you just really trying to say, Matthew and Steven, knock it off? Yeah, that's what I was trying. You thought that that's what I was saying. Oh, but, okay. Uh, of course, I never listened to you or right, Matthew. Right. So. Um, this show somehow gets done in the end. <laughs> no, Wait a uh, minute. I'll... I'll, I'll I, I do want to talk about knockoffs, uh, but that's uh, because I was watching this thing on, I think, AMC, mm-hmm. and it was like a, a, this this thing talking about, you know, old movies and stuff, and I was, one of the things that came up was what what I thought was this uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin movie. Right. But 
then because I don't really remember what these guys look like necessarily. <laughs> right. And then as it turns out, it was just two other guys who are kind of lookalikes and the guy who does the Jerry Lewis guy sounds exactly like him like oh, he's really? clearly trying to be an imitator of jerry lewis but this happened at the peak of their career oh, like wow. this guy was just straight up a guy doing jerry lewis trying to make money out of it but was just a complete 100 percent imitator wow do you remember the name of the movie I, I don't remember the name of the movie and i don't remember the name of the team but like they were so spot yeah, yeah. on that yeah, it was yeah. crazy Obviously, you know, if you were familiar with what the actors look like, because mm-hmm. I did look it up afterwards and I was like, oh, yeah, they don't actually necessarily look all that much alike, but their hair is exactly the same. Right, right. You know, their mannerisms are clearly meant to be tailored to be that. So mm-hmm. I was like, how can anybody get away with it? And sure enough, eventually Jerry Lewis did sue that one guy. Oh, OK. Um, But it's like sometimes it's amazing how far a knockoff can go. And the lengths that people will go to say, oh, no, 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 no. This one goes dun, 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 right, dun. Right, right. Instead of dun, 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 this dun, is, dun, This is not copyright infringement. Right, right. Um, you know, in the uh, comedy world, mm-hmm. there is a lot of anger and anim- animosity being thrown around towards comedians mm-hmm. like... Um, What's the Hispanic guy? Carlos Mencia. Carlos Mencia. Yes. They say chronic joke thief. Yep. And then uh, Dane Cook, mm-hmm. big joke thief. And everybody's just like joke thief, joke thief, joke thief. And you can go back and you can find where these jokes have been lifted, mm-hmm. right? Or we should say appear to be lifted right. from other routines. And in the case of comedy, it might be a little hard to say that they ripped off or you're just a knockoff of so-and-so. Right. Because there have been times when jokes have... Like Matthew had commented on uh, Stephanie and Cassandra and and Batwoman all being in Batgirl Inc. Well, ten other people told that joke uh, at the same time, sure, essentially sure. all across the internet. Um, so there's that kind of stuff where right, it's, right, it's hard right. to claim joke thief unless you have exact proof that he did it. I mean, uh, Milton Berle had a uh, joke library mm-hmm. that of just all of his jokes. And if you needed to buy a joke, you could go to Milton Berle and you could buy one yep. of his jokes and use it. And it became yours, not his any longer, right. but yours, even though it was recorded elsewhere. I, I've actually seen like recordings of, of people talk about that. And like Milton Berle will a- also like give away his mm-hmm. jokes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like he'd be like, hey, kid, I, c- I came up with this joke, but I can't tell it because it's not a Milton Berle joke, right, even right, though right. I, I wrote it. Right, right. So you, you can have it as, you know. Yeah. Because we're friends. Right, right. Yeah. And and so, you know, the joke thief thing is a little bit harder to do. Uh, but when someone, I don't know, is ripping off someone's shtick, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's ignored until it becomes lucrative. Lucrative. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, uh, you have seen in the last couple of years, especially when it pertains to uh, comic book artists who have artist alleys, where, you know, the, the big wigs at DC and Marvel will sometimes come through and say, hey, look, if you guys want to continue to do your rendition of Power Girl, you got to keep her clothes on or you can't have her doing this lewd act or whatever. Right. And they'll set these kind of rules and regulations up. Um, and there have been some times where they've cracked down on people. Now, I know Scott Johnson, a good friend of, of the show mm-hmm. and part of the Frog Pants Network, um, he had a series, I think it was about five years ago, called Fat Superheroes. Mm-hmm. And he had a fat Batman picture, and he had a fat Wolverine, and he had a fat Wonder Woman. And I think he had a fat Superman. 
And he got a cease and desist from D.C. saying, "Uh -uh, Mm uh-uh, you can't do that. That's our copyrighted work. Right. Well, there's clearly a way that, hey, he can say that it's parody, parody, derivative work, whatever. Um, But I I really think that um, artist alleys are really that place of, yes, you are getting um, Adam Hughes to draw you. Well, not so much anymore, but you are getting Adam Hughes to draw you. Laura Croft, or you mm-hmm. are getting him to draw Huntress, which he doesn't like to draw Huntress, but right. if you get him to draw Huntress, yeah, great. But he doesn't have the right to draw that Huntress character. Right. He's essentially ripping off DC, and he's selling it for 1300 bucks. Right. Right? But I think it, it, the key comes down to until it becomes lucrative, until somebody's right. making money off of ripping off your shtick. Right. Um, I, I really foresee you know, there's going to be this time when... If you're going to be in an artist alley and you're going to have prints or you're going to be having sketchbooks for sale of our characters, that DC or Marvel or any of the publishers might say, you owe us a percentage of your sales. And at the beginning of the show, you need to tell us what print you started with and what print you ended with. And then you're going to owe us that much money. And if we ever find you cheating on that, then you're going to get sued or you're going to lose the right to participate in some shows or use Mm -hmm. our characters or whatever. So I see that that's kind of maybe something that might come down the line. But, you know, even when it comes to fan films, the the powers that be have put the kibosh on a lot of the fun that people could have. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You look at the fan films at the San Diego Comic-Con were popular for years and Mm -hmm. years and years and years until the year that uh, Sandy Collar came out with... uh, uh, dead end or dead end alley yeah, or whatever end. it was, and then the next year they came back and they were getting ready to show, and there were a lot of really great fan films out there. There was a great Power Girl one that was awesome that came out that year. Powers that be came down on the con and said, "No more of that stuff. That's mm-hmm. a copyright infringement." Uh, and so they don't show fan films anymore at those shows. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's a lot of that going on, but in the comic books, at least we don't, you know, except for the Rob Granito bit. Well, see, but which that's, is stealing. That's- but it's not a knockoff. Yeah, that's that's a little bit different. I mean, what I'm talking about is taking a guy who dresses up like an American flag. Right. Has a shield. Right. Um, throws the shield. Right. Shield comes back. And fights fights Nazis. The enemies bend to his, yield to his shield. Right. Okay. Well, those that oppose him anyway. Okay. Um, but his name is... Uh, Captain USA? Patriotic man. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. It, well. And then. <laughs> look at look at all the Superman. Yeah. Uh, knockoffs. I mean, we've seen that in everything, Matthew. I mean, um, you know, mm-hmm. is, is, is what's going on in the boys? Are those characters knockoffs? Are they in violation of anything? Are they derivative work? Are well, they... Those characters to me are more archetypical um, type characters, and I think that you know the most obvious example is if you look at their Captain America type character, Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy does not look or act anything like Captain America, and really, the only thing he's supposed to do is stand there and make you think, "Hey, here's a patriotic guy. He seems to have a shield." This is obviously meant to be a Captain America stand-in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember the arc with the G-Men, where Wee Huey was staying with a team, their team of young mutants, and they're a knockoff of a bigger team. Their team was uh, G-Wiz, I think. 
Yeah. And uh, they're knockoff of a bigger team called the G-Men, run by a mysterious man who has a school for young mutants. But the characters aren't, you know, it wasn't a guy with eye beams necessarily and his telepathic girlfriend. But there were clearly characters that were meant to be the archetype of your Cyclops leader and your Jean Grey person. And then they, you know, make them all horrible, horrible people. I think that, for me, the harder question is if you look at, say, Astro City, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful series and, you know, an artistic statement. But they are taking those archetypes. I can see people looking at that and going, I don't want to read Astro City because this is all knockoffs. It's really not because they're taking that archetype and they're looking at it not as here's my version of Superman versus Blackrock on top of the Daily Planet building. Rather, it's a larger examination of what, you know, the Superman character, the Superman placeholder represents with that first Samaritan story, especially. So I think it's it's a fine line. You know, we, we have to look at the fair use and the parody portion of it. But then we also have to look at. How many different, really, how many different superheroes are there? Well, Ten, when you get nine? when you get into lawsuits, when you get into lawsuits and they go in to say, hey, you ripped off my song, my character, my whatever, they go fragrance. down. Fragrance. They go down in fragrance. They go down to the molecular level. Yep. Uh, but I, I remember in- They're looking um, at points of similarity. Yeah, points of similarity. And they're looking, I think, in one of the- uh, some recent lawsuit they they came up with like twenty one points of similarities, mm-hmm. and that was enough to say, yeah, that's a copyright violation, or yeah, that's a trademark infringement, or whatever. Yep. And so it does become um, it, it, it all really Rodrigo. All this boils down to is is legal, mm-hmm. and is the company is Gucci losing out on millions of dollars because somebody is offering a five dollar knockoff of that gucci bag um it may not be that the company is losing money mm-hmm. right because the people who are yeah, buying those five dollar bags wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna a, be a, a five thousand dollar bag but what gucci is actually losing is um their name mm-hmm. uh the you know if somebody automatically starts seeing all gucci bags and thinking oh cheap knockoff and all gucci does is produce crap uh, then that harms the company coca-cola is notorious if you even have a font that looks anything similar to the Coca-Cola font, they will come after you mm-hmm. um, because they, they feel that that, br- that waters down their brand. Their brand. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it, it kind of gets down to it. And that may be, I don't know how much w- research you did into the Jerry Lewis lawsuit, but was Jerry Lewis saying, hey, you're hurting my brand or you're making money off of me? And those would be two different two different things. Yeah. I, I, I think I think what it was is, is basically it was his act and, mm. and, and the fact that he was uh, basically there was someone else doing his act yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was his intellectual property. I right. Think right. Is what it came yeah. Down and so to. that 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 can come out, too. But, um, you know, if you're talking about a cheap watch knockoff, mm-hmm. Timex probably isn't going to make that big of a stink until those knockoffs start hurting. Yeah. Um, the 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 recognition of that brand and right. and you do see um ATF and you do see customs raiding uh warehouses and marketplaces occasionally and mm-hmm. they come out with you know 10,000 pairs of fake Nike's right um so you know those those kind of things do do happen um 
Did you have some another example, maybe more specific in, in the comic book? Well, I did. World, I did or? allude to uh, was it Agent America? Right, right, right. Where, where basically, I think what it didn't didn't that end up with like uh, Rob Liefeld and Marvel getting into it, and in the end, Marvel basically saying, "Okay, you can keep doing this, but he better not throw that shield because then he's Captain oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. America." Yeah. Exactly. And well, right. that's what happened yep. with uh, Todd right. McFarlane. That's what I was talking about before. Todd McFarlane and um, was it Alan Moore who who did uh, Medieval Spawn? Or uh, uh, Neil Gaiman? Yeah, yeah, Neil Gaiman. Uh, they got into a lawsuit, and basically, mm-hmm. the courts decided that Medieval Spawn was not. It was a whole entirely different work than Spawn. Todd McFarlane Spawn, mm-hmm. and so Neil Gaiman owns the right to Medieval Spawn. So you know those kinds of things. What were you going to say, Matthew? Oh, I was definitely on the medieval spawn thing. I believe. Okay. Anything like else? These. Any any other thoughts on knockoffs? Uh, I, I guess really what 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 I was what I was trying to figure out is and and you know Astro City is a is a good point is where where do you draw that line and of course nobody can tell you specifically where mm-hmm. that line is run. You know the points of similarity, mm-hmm. for example. But um, you know, like you mentioned, Superman. Knockoffs mm-hmm. is like this Supreme a Superman knockoff is Majestic yeah. a Superman knockoff. Yes. yes. Yeah, I mean those guys. Yes. Yeah, pretty much yeah, right? Yeah. But Samaritan isn't. Samaritan is like a riff or or an homage or something right, like right, that. Right. Yeah, when do you yeah. Yeah. It's like where do you draw the line? I think the line is is this guy actually doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. Is this guy just being Superman? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, then yes. You know, Samaritan isn't just being Superman. It's trying to show you other things that maybe you hadn't considered about Superman, hadn't thought about Superman. You know, there's right. no, there's no like legal term as far as I know for like a, a parody that isn't funny, like something. <laughs> it's called, it sucks. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's a take right, right, right. on a character. Right, it's right. like, Instead of make trying to show you Superman and make you laugh at him, mm-hmm. he's showing you Superman and making you think differently about him. Right, right. It's like, right. is that is that protected by law? Depends on how far you want to go. It, it really depends on how close you get. Yeah, yeah. To that character, yeah. I think that's uh, some good question. That's a, some good things to think about. And really, if you go and look at lawsuits, mm-hmm. especially the Superman lawsuit and what is owned by DC, what is their derivative work, and what is owned by the Seagulls and Schusters. It does get down into those little points. Who appeared first, and was this for hire or or paid work? And it it does get down into those those little things. Yeah, and and I think if you look at the cases, a lot of the time it's like, wow, this was clearly just one because the lawyer was good at this. Yeah. Because, you know, you will see some where it's like, this character or this song is clearly this other song. Mm -hmm. It's like, Jet is really just doing Lust for Life. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) you know, well, that one probably didn't never even went to court. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's, it's just that you will see something else that is not nearly as close. And that one... Will be a, will be successful for whoever retains the copyright, right? Um, and it's really just because the uh, and, and the lawyer was good at it, or the judge had a slightly different take on things. And sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with a with a trope, mm-hmm. that may be something yep. that you can't. It's very hard to defend. But a lot of it too is, do you really want to spend the money? Yeah, to fight this. to fight this. Yep. And until somebody's making more money off of you, it's probably 
more money than you, it's probably not worth your time right. because it costs, I mean, lawyer fees, oh, yeah. especially if you're a corporation, are very big. And if you're an independent person like me, they are also very expensive. Right. So it's, do you really want to deal with the hassle? Sometimes you can just smear somebody's name just in the in the in the marketplace i mean yep. look at granito again i mean this is a good job by rich johnston and other people who went after him and totally showed him for who he was and mm-hmm. that's that's the end of him basically yep although he still keeps popping up sure so anyway matthew any other thoughts before we get out of here today hmm. i would say that if you're a faithful spoilerite and someone calls you back and says did your issue get resolved on that last call. You say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say if you uh, have uh, the funds and you want to make sure that major spoiler sticks around to consider becoming a recurring donor to the major spoilers experience, the money goes to a good cause, namely keeping the website, the forums, the Twitters, the major spoilers podcasts, the critical hit podcasts. And uh, other things that we are planning in the future, make sure that we keep those going. Uh, do consider a 2 5 or $10 a month recurring donation. We really, really appreciate that. Oh, you know what? This is kind of a teaser. I'm going to continue to tease these for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, part of the reason why we don't say Superman or we don't say Spider-Man a lot of the times is because we just... We're trying to say these things fit into any other character. Right. So right. when you hear about Kablamicus, right. right, we know what Kablamicus is. When we talk about Turnip Man, mm-hmm. we know what we're talking about with Turnip Man. And I think some people have been thinking about Kablamicus and Turnip Man. So look to the skies this weekend and look for the big K with a circle around it and by a slushy or something like that. Anyway, we'll be talking more about that. In the future, wait, wait, 7-Eleven. Oh, that's uh, next month. Yeah. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. But don't forget, I think 7-Eleven is slushy day, isn't it? Did you I hear don't know. about the just... murders in Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> Rodrigo, anything else before we go? Now let's get out of here. All right, let's go. Bye. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like
like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read up on all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be In the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah Major spoiler. Major spoilers is copyright to Dad and Devin.